What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football Bleacher Report's college football and NFL draft podcast. I'm Matt Miller. It's Wednesday morning. That means my buddy Connor Rogers is holding it down from the New York office. That's right, buddy. And we got a loaded show, as we always do. Going to talk a little NFL, going to talk some NFL draft, and of course, college football all wrapped up into one on the Wednesday show. We're going to do something a little different this week. It's time to start talking mock drafts. We're not going to do the full first round. Too early for that. But the top five picks, when you look at teams like the Niners, the Raiders, the Giants, even the Falcons, with all the injuries they've had, and the Cardinals sitting in that projected top five, there's a lot to talk about there. And Matt, we're going to be uh, we're going to be on the road for a pretty big trip this weekend. We are, man. I can't wait. I was actually sitting in the office this morning thinking about all the stuff I need to pack up. We are hitting the road. We will be in Baton Rouge next, this coming weekend. My goodness, it's already here for LSU, Georgia. We want you guys to come tailgate with us. How great is that, right? Like, oh, what am I going to do Saturday? I'll go tailgate with the stick to football guys. I don't even care if you have a ticket to the game. Just come tailgate with us. We may or may not make it in ourselves. We will be at the Patrick F. Taylor Hall right there. There's a, a white tent area called Block Party. Block Party presents. They're hooking us up with this massive 10 by 20 tent. And I want to fill that damn thing. So we need y'all to come out, hang out with us. We're going to have giveaways. We're going to have food. We're going to have drinks. Come chill with us. Uh, and we'll be answering your questions. We're going to record some of the podcasts there. You get to meet myself, Mello, Connor. It's going to be a great time. So like you said, big show this week. Uh, we only have two shows before we hit Baton Rouge. Uh, I'm detoxing my liver in preparation for I'm it. Trying. But <laughs> I'm excited about this mock draft. But before we get there, uh, one thing that we do a lot of on the Wednesday show, and one of my favorite segments of all three shows that we do, is we look around the NFL and talk about the rookies who are standing out. And this week, I, I think the big note was, not only did Baker Mayfield lead the Browns to an overtime win uh, over the Baltimore Ravens and a very good defense, but all of the rookie starting quarterbacks won. Baker won, Josh Allen won, Josh Rosen won, and we got our guy Sam Darnold winning for the New York Jets. So, Really like a crazy cool weekend of, and I know wins aren't a quarterback stat. I know it. You're going to leave it in the iTunes review. I get it, but please do. <laughs> it's very, very cool just to see all the first round rookie quarterbacks who are starting got to win this week. I, I have to imagine that's one of the few times that's ever happened. I thought it was awesome. And I thought it was really cool to see guys like Darnold and Mayfield were a big reason their teams won. That's the thing with, you know, and it's, they all played a part in the wins, but Darnold finally started pushing the football down the field on some beautiful bombs to Robbie Anderson. And when you look at Baker, was that scoreline pretty and was it the prettiest game? No, but at the end of the day, he got the job done and has given the Browns more life than Terod Taylor did. Yeah, and, and let's talk about on defense too. Denzel Ward continues to be a playmaker. And I, I want to just eat a little crow. When they drafted him a four, I thought, man, this is really early. And I had heard teams... I had heard the Browns liked him before. I had heard other teams liked him, maybe Denver. If the Jets hadn't traded up, I, that was a player that back in March, we had heard that they really liked. So a lot of teams liked Denzel Ward. It wasn't crazy that he was a top 10 pick, but a lot of people thought, oh, they should have gone Bradley Chubb or they should have drafted Saquon at one and Baker at four. And, and we'll get into that stuff in, in years down the road when we have a better view of it. But right now, Denzel Ward looks very good. He had a block kick and another interception this weekend. So he continues to maybe, you know, live above the range that we thought he was going to be when he came out of Ohio State. But it just goes to show that it's funny how all all football season, Connor, we talked about Denzel Ward, you know, cute corner one, corner one. No doubt about it. Great player. 
And then he just gets drafted a spot or two higher than a lot of people thought he should have in that that wheel turns and it's like, oh, well, they overdrafted him. He's not good anymore. No, he's still really good. And they're putting him in a lot of positions to succeed. I mean, Greg Williams knows how to coach up corners and he's getting the most out of Denzel Ward. Yeah. And I want to give the Browns a lot of credit here, their staff, because at the time and we all were guilty of it, we wondered, hey, was that the spot to take Bradley Chubb and give Miles Garrett the perfect you know, counterpart as an edge pass rusher? The Browns made a great move here. They got a number one corner for Greg Williams that has been an impact player right away. He's been a great player right away. And also the Browns probably hit on some other picks here. I mean, we talk about Jannard Avery. He's been very good for them. So it's just a very impressive strategy. Bradley Chubb, I think he's going to be fine. He did struggle a little bit. You know, he's had highs and lows. He struggled against the Jets, but... It just goes to show you that Ward, I don't want to say was the exact right pick at the time, but he's proving people that he was, that he deserved to be taken that early because he's had such an impact on the Browns defense already. You're right, man. The, that Browns front office deserves a lot of credit. Uh, hats off to John great Dorsey, draft. Elliot Wolf, Alonso Highsmith. Great draft. And, and the free agent moves they've made, the trades they made. Flipping Deshaun Kaiser for Demarius Randall looks like one of the biggest God. steals of the offseason. So they they did a great job of, and I tweeted about this. You can read the thread I went on about how it's not just about finding good players. It's about changing the culture. A lot of people shit on them for giving Jarvis Landry big money because the numbers said he wasn't explosive enough or whatever. But sometimes you need guys who could be leaders and also still be a very good receiver. And right now he's Baker Mayfield's favorite target. So I would say it was worth it. Uh, let's kill a couple narratives, man. A, a segment you came up with that I I'm in love with because we do get to like we did with the Denzel Ward pick. And I can't wait for this to come draft time. We can talk about the narrative that's out there and put our perspective on it. I want to go first with something I see all the time. And as you all know, I like to make fun of John Gruden. And I like to make fun of the fact that they traded Khalil Mack and he's now exactly what they keep saying they need and miss, God. which is hilarious. That It seems like anytime you put a mic in front of John Gruden, he's talking about how much they need pass rushers and people who can flip the field and, you know, create turnovers. It's like the guy has four strip sacks. Like maybe you should have kept him. But one thing that Raiders fans will always clap back to me with is this idea that because you're going to have two first round picks and a ton of money, you can replace that. And I would point to the Cleveland Browns before this year as a team that always pick in top 10, most of the time pick a top five, always had big money. And you still have to be able to draft the players. It does not matter how many picks you have. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You have to identify talent and be able to evaluate. And right now, I mean, the Raiders, I, I mean, I guess we haven't seen a ton of material to make an opinion on, but it's not as easy as you guys would think out there to just, oh, we got picks of money. We'll get a pass rusher. And as you'll see when we do our mock draft here in just a second, it's not that easy because where you end up in the order makes a big, a big, big difference. And I don't think any team should ever rely on free agency as a true building block. I don't think so either because you never know what the market is going to look like. That's something that you can't ultimately project perfectly because of the franchise tag, because of the period of time where players can sign extensions with their original club, or that you can't, you just might get used by agents because lesser teams get used by agent, get used all the time to go somewhere else to drive up. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. like the perfect example last year, and this is just one of a million, was Jarek McKinnon. 
the 49ers, the Jets, and the Bucks were all in on McKinnon. The Bucks and the Jets kept driving up the price, but ultimately the best place for Jarek McKinnon to go, and it's a shame that he lost the season, but was to San Francisco. And he got a ton of money and also got the great fit. So projecting free agency is just so hard to do. And, and I love that one that you did because we can't sit here and say there'll be another Khalil Mack in the next couple of years. I think Nick Bosa can be. There's no guarantee the Raiders get a chance at Nick Bosa because something we're going to talk about very soon is that he seems like a lock to go number one, whether he returns to the field this year, which I think he will, or doesn't. It doesn't matter. He's that good. So putting yourself in the chance to get those players in the draft is far from guaranteed. Putting yourself with the chance to sign those players is also far from guaranteed. So it's a really dicey strategy. Yeah, it, it absolutely is, man. And like you said, it can backfire. Uh, one story we always tell on the podcast is about Tony Jefferson, who got offered more money by a couple teams. Uh, if I'm remembering right, it was the Browns and the Jets offer more money. And he said, no, nah, I want to go to Baltimore. I want to go have a chance to win a title. And we'll see if that actually happens or not. But he used those teams to drive up the price. And, and it happens every year. It, it happens multiple times. So very good point. And I love yours because this is one that I see every Sunday on yep. Twitter. And anytime I write a mock draft, I see this as well. I just want you to have at it. Yeah, mine is that there is a narrative around, and this really relates to what we do covering the draft and taking quarterbacks early. People keep saying that Blake Bortles has improved, and I don't want to sit here and just cherry pick from last weekend because he was horrible against the Chiefs and should never be put in the position to throw 61 times. But Blake Bortles, to me, hasn't made big jumps this year. I don't see it. And then, yes, the Jets game, he was perfect. Let me tell you something. They ran shallow crossers all day, and you can hear on the mic, Marcus May say to him, I don't know what we're doing, man, because the Jets defense was not adjusting to those. So the stat line from the Jets game is beautiful. If you take that one away, I mean, the other good game is against New England. I don't think their defense is any good at all. He didn't play very well against the Giants. He played terribly against the Titans, and he played really poor against the Chiefs. I'm not doing this just to sit here and be the classic shit on Blake Bortles time. I'm doing this because Jacksonville has built a Super Bowl roster, and Blake Bortles, while at times can win you some games, he's not the guy to get them where they should be. This t- I always, and you agreed with me, this was the team that should have traded for Teddy Bridgewater. I was about to say it. Damn this it. is why I'm so angry about this is not because of Blake Bortles, not because he was taken as early as he was or that they've stuck with him this long. As much as we didn't agree with that either. If you listen to the show, you know that it's that for a third round pick, you could have had a quarterback that could have taken you to the Super Bowl. And that's not even sitting here and saying Teddy's a top five, top 10 quarterback. It's saying this team needs a top 15, top 20 quarterback because they are that good and they don't have one right now. Yeah, you're right. And yeah, I was banging the table that they should have traded for Teddy Bridgewater. We see this morning uh, they're trying to work out Jamal Charles, trying to figure out some of their running back situation. Like they do have a championship caliber defense, but like we saw Sunday when they turn the ball over five times, that defense can't win those games for you. There's no way to do it. So yeah, we saw Bortles play okay in some games but I I think a big problem with like the football not even just fans but like everyone that watches football is we see a good game and that's the lasting impression instead of realizing that sometimes it can take like two good years for a player to to really be considered a great player and 
you know, like Deshaun Watson was kind of that guy where, you know, he came out struggled early this year and he's actually been playing really well since those first two games, but people get it locked in their minds, how a guy played once or twice and, and can't get over it. So it, it, I'm glad that you have the balls to say, Hey, Blake Bortles is not good. And he's holding this team back a team that should be winning a super bowl or at least make it a run for it. Let's do this though, man. Let's get into this mock draft. Like you said, it, it's this time of year. Everybody's like, oh, it's too early. It's too early. But here's the thing. There are a lot of teams that are, for all intents and purposes, out of the playoff picture. If you're one of four at this point, the chances of making that comeback are incredibly, incredibly hard to do. So we've got the Niners, the Raiders, the Giants, the Falcons, Cardinals. Uh, there are other teams like the Colts who have the same record. But based on strength of schedule, this is the way we have the order right now. The San Francisco 49ers picking first overall. A lot of people can look at this roster and say, you've spent a first on Solomon Thomas. You spent a first on DeForest Buckner. You spent a first on Eric Armstead, but you still don't have a, an outside pass rush. That's where Nick Bosa from Ohio State comes in. It's the pick for me. He's the best prospect in college. I know he's hurt right now, but Nick Bosa is exactly what the Niners need to, to hopefully finally round out that defense. I, I completely agree. There is no argument here to be made. At number one overall, the 49ers should take Nick Bosa and never look back. Now, here's the crazy thing, Matt. And I think you actually, as a fan and losing Jimmy G for the season, if this is the way the Niners season is going to go, which has had horrible luck, let's be real. Jarek McKinnon, Jimmy Garoppolo, a lot of other factors involved, lose out. I mean, because if you get the number one overall pick and you get Nick Bosa, this team's going to be very good next year with Jimmy G back. Free agency, get him some targets. Bosa is an instant impact star pass rusher. This is such an easy pick for us. And I think there is actually, I know it's early, it's October. I think there's a good chance that we could see this come to life in April. I do too. And a lot of Niners fans are going to say, no, we need a receiver. Or maybe you go with a left tackle because number one. Staley's getting older. Not a number one. This is a not, it is not at all a good skill, skill position class. So no, thank you. At number two, you have the Oakland Raiders, and this is what we've been talking about. Everyone thinks, oh, we have two first-round picks. We'll we'll draft someone to replace Khalil Mack. Who are you going to draft if Nick Bosa's off the board? What what you do, I think the next best move is you get Ed Oliver, who is a nasty Aaron Donald-like penetrator from the three-technique position. No, he's not going to give you that outside pass rush, but from the inside, you want to talk about instant impact. This guy has been plug-and-play since he was a true freshman at Houston. He is a difference maker on the interior of the line. If they can get Arden Key going, if they could keep him on the straight and narrow, he and Ed Oliver, with some of the other players they've drafted, can form a very, very good front four and maybe hopefully actually help this horrible run defense as well. I completely agree. Again, number two overall, there's no argument again. Now, the only thing you could sit here and say is if there was a can't miss Andrew Luck quarterback in this class, you can make the argument that maybe the Raiders sit there and say, hey, Carr's a solid quarterback. We want the superstar, the guy that can be a top three, top five franchise quarterback. That guy's not in this class. And when that's not happening, you keep rolling with Derek Carr. That's fine. The Raiders right now need star players. Ed Oliver is a superstar player at a gigantic position of need for them this would really start turning things in the right direction in the John Gruden era. Absolutely, man. So pick number three, the New York Giants. 
They did not take a quarterback at number two overall last year. They chose instead to draft a generational running back talent in Saquon Barkley. And when they did that, everyone got upset. Why didn't you draft Sam Darnold? Why didn't you draft Josh Rosen? Why didn't you draft Josh Allen? I think this is why. Now, I'm not saying that they knew they were going to be picking in the top five the next year, but I believe that they looked ahead and said, next year's running back class is not good. Next year's wide receiver class is not good. Let's get that great running back that can maybe hopefully extend Eli Manning's career. And then next year we can maybe get a quarterback or maybe get an offensive lineman. And I'm going to go quarterback Justin Herbert from Oregon. Some people may feel like this is a reach at three overall, but he's accurate. He's an athlete and he has, I believe the right work ethic and and the right drive to succeed in a New York market. That's going to be pretty hard on a rookie quarterback as Sam Darnold is finding out. But this is exactly what the Giants need. Now you have a young quarterback, a young running back. And as we've seen, that's the best way to build a team because you're not putting a lot of money in those positions. You're going to have the flexibility now to spend on the offensive line. You're going to have the flexibility to maybe spend on the front seven on defense and quickly turn that roster around if they can identify some talent in the other rounds. Yeah, I think this turns the Giants around right away. And I know I just went on a rant that maybe there's not the Andrew Luck (laughs) top five quarterback in this class. I think Herbert could still be a very good player and a gigantic upgrade over Eli Manning right now. Herbert is a very good athlete for his size. He has a nice release. He can really hit every kind of throw. I know people don't like what Odell Beckham said, and he shouldn't have said it to the media. But at the end of the day, he's right. The Giants cannot throw the ball down the field right now. The offense just isn't clicking. And when you have Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham in the same offense, There's no excuse for that. And to me, it does start at the quarterback position more often than not. I love Herbert to the Giants. Even if he wants to, even if they want him to sit behind Eli for a couple of games, that's okay. If he declares and the Giants are in line to get him, take him. All right, pick number four. We finally disagree, man. The Atlanta Falcons. This is a tough pick to predict because you look at the Falcons on paper and you're like, where's the need? You have Matt Ryan. you got a couple running backs. You have a left tackle in Jake Matthews. You've got receivers. I mean, Calvin Ridley is really coming on. You still have Julio Jones and Mohamed Sanu. And even on defense, they've drafted pretty well defensively. So where is the need? In my opinion, when you can't find one, you look at trends and you look at best player available. And for me, that's Rashawn Gary, defensive line out of Michigan. The Falcons front office, these guys love defensive linemen. Scott Pioli did even back when he was with the Kansas City Chiefs and New England Patriots. They love to build the defensive line. Rashawn Gary could be a difference maker as a really a true pass rusher in the middle of the defense to hopefully open up some lanes for those outside guys, Vic Beasley and Tech McKinley. Gary is maybe not used right at Michigan because they bounce him all over the line. He's been a little banged up, but I think the NFL, he's going to come alive when he's just asked, hey, line up between the guard in the center, the guard in the tackle, and go make plays. Penetrate, own your gap, and go hit the quarterback. Yeah, I'm, I don't think this is crazy at all. I almost put Ja'Kai Polite here or Cleveland Farrell or, and Gary, all those guys, any kind of extra edge pass rush threat. I know he's had huge numbers before, but Vic Beasley is just not really the guy, as crazy as that sounds. I think the Falcons could use more pass rush threat, but I'm going a different direction here. I'm going with Deontay Thompson, the free safety out of Alabama. I think pairing him with Keanu Neal really you know, sets no limits for Dan Quinn's defense. I think the takeaways that they can have, you let Neal play closer to the line of scrimmage, maybe be there Jamal Adams, or you could even make the argument that he was Adams before he got to the league. That's how good Neal was, and I can't wait to see him back. Thompson can play single high. 
His range is unlimited. Matt, I know you spotlighted him for us at Bleacher Report recently. This guy is fun to watch, man. And, and I just think in that defense that they're trying to always create turnovers, he can be a difference maker. Yeah, he is. I love him. I actually wrote him up again today uh, for an article that came out on Tuesday morning. His range of the top, he's like Malik Hooker to me, but maybe a little more physical. Uh, his instincts, his range, his football IQ are all very, very special. So I can't be mad at that pick. I love it. I also like keeping him in the South because man, he he is a playmaker and over the top for the Falcons. He could do some dangerous things. Team number five, the Arizona Cardinals, got their first win on Sunday over my Niners. I'm going to go defense here. This is a team that went offense heavy last year. Josh Rosen, Christian Kirk. I want to see them go defense. Pat Pete is still the man at corner, in my opinion, but they need another one. Why not go back to the well at LSU and get Greedy Williams, the best corner in football? He's got length. He's got speed. And when teams actually throw his way, he has ball skills. The stats might not show it because a lot of people are avoiding him, but turn on the tape. Greedy Williams' technique, his recovery speed, his ability to use those long arms to break up passes. To me, that makes him the number one corner in this class and a guy that's worthy of a top five pick. I'm going to be selfish here for a minute, Matt. I want to do kill the narrative part two. Patrick Peterson is the best corner in football, not Jalen Ramsey. For all the talking Ramsey does, it's Patrick Peterson. The narrative that he, it's almost like the narrative that he's forgotten about for whatever reason. I just don't get it. The guy is so good. And if that's your corner duo with Peterson still playing at the level of the best shutdown corner in the NFL, that would be a lot of fun to watch. Now, I went a different direction with this because of my love for Josh Rosen. Let's get him some help. DK Metcalf out of Ole Miss. I think this is a really big rise for him. I never expected to have him in the top 10 coming out of the summer, but I think he's the most talented wide receiver I've seen so far. And if he declares, still a young player, 20 years old, I think he is a freakish kind of receiving threat. I think Rosen needs more help. I, I think he's had his ups and downs. I think some of his splash throws have been very impressive. But this is a team at some point that has to think about the future of the offense. And you're going to have to build that offensive line, but you got to get Rosen a franchise weapon. And with Metcalf's ceiling, I don't think that's that crazy. Yeah, and he's outplaying a guy that a lot of folks thought would be number one uh, wide receiver this year, A.J. Brown. But D.K. Metcalf has, I think, better speed. He's definitely got length. And with Josh Rosen having Metcalf and Kirk, my goodness, that would be a fun offense to watch. All right, guys, now as we do every single week, stock watch across college football and how it relates to the NFL draft. First one for me, if you listen to the Monday morning show, the $100 handshakes, I was at Miami FSU. The Miami defense had a hell of a second half. So I'm going to do stock watch, stock up for the Miami defense. I think when you look at the linebackers, Pinkney and Quarterman at corner, Michael Jackson, who's had an up and down year, he played really well in that second half. I like his measurables and a lot of his traits. And Joe Jackson was just an absolute force up front, getting to the quarterback time and time again. So the Canes defense, I think a lot of these guys are going to consider declaring at the end of this year. And with that performance in the second half against Florida State, that's the kind of tape they need. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I've already been getting asked about those guys, so I, I, I think, definitely yeah. think they're out of there. Buddy. They'll be leaving. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of them, you know, talked about leaving last year, and, and we did see a big turnover on their D-line, but I, I think the rest of them are probably going to go now. Mine, uh, I got to stick with still my Texas Longhorns. We're still riding high after that win over Oklahoma. Got to take care of business this weekend against Baylor, but two guys that really stood out that, you know, Sam Ellinger and Dicker the kicker are going to get a Dicker. lot of the love. 
because they, you know, they made the big plays, but two guys who also made plenty of plays that need highlighted Chris Boyd at corner and Gary Johnson at linebacker, Chris Boyd had the tough job of playing man to man. A lot of times against those very, very fast Oklahoma receivers, Marquise Brown and CD lamb. And yeah, they still made some plays, but I, I really felt like Texas did a good job of limiting those. And Boyd continues to show out for me. He, he's so much better this year at locating the ball. He's very physical. Uh, he has the size to bang with guys to the line of scrimmage. So really like the stock up on him. And then Gary Johnson, he was a Juco linebacker, goes to Texas last year and really kind of, you know, sat behind guys like Malik Jefferson. This year as a senior, he's been asked to carry a heavy load, spying guys like Kyler Murray, did a fantastic job with that. And again, I know Murray got loose for that one long run, but I think by and large people would say, man, he, he didn't have the game that we expected him to. And Trey Sermon didn't have the game. A lot of people thought he could. When you look at Texas coming back, you know, ah, Texas is back, man. So much of that is because of the run defense, which has been fantastic. Not easy to do running a three, three, five either. So I think those guys deserve a lot of credit for being the catalyst for, you know, a team that has very, very quickly turned it around. Yeah. I'm with you there. I think when you look at culture and attitude of defense in college football, LSU and Alabama are often prime examples. I'm starting to get some of that feeling with Texas where those guys are on the field with a different attitude, a different confidence. And I think that's been the reason, like you said, for this return of why Texas is back. I know it's a running joke often. They're for real, and they're a lot of fun to watch. That's an NFL-type attitude that they put out there. All right, another stock up for me, a, a guy that is great to see back, explosive, making plays. Debo Samuel of South Carolina, a really big week for him against Missouri. Four catches, 88 yards, you know, a, a long catch, a touchdown. It's great. It's great to see him back for his senior year. I want to see him in Mobile, you know, obviously working back from a junior season that was cut short. This guy's just a lot of fun to watch. When he's on the field, you got to keep your eye on him because of his explosive playmaking ability. So he was forgotten about because of last year and kind of slept on this summer. I think this was the first weekend where we sat there and said, okay, he's back and he's going to be someone to watch for this draft wide receiver class. Yeah, definitely. And and we're waiting, right? We're trying to figure out who's, where is the talent in this receiver right? class? We talked a little bit about DK Metcalf. You got the Oklahoma guys. Debo Samuel might be the best senior wide receiver in the country, uh, at least in terms of draft prospects because of what he can bring to the table after the catch. My next stock up, a, a guy, man, it seems like every time I watch Mississippi State play, my notes are full of number nine, and that's Montez Sweat coming off the edge. Talked about him a little bit on the Monday morning show, but he just continues to impress me. And in a year with some very good edge rushers, you know, we have Nick Bosa, we have Cleveland Farrell, we have your guy, Jakai Polite from Florida. Like there are a lot of good pass rushers. Don't forget about Montez Sweat as someone in that group who could be a top 20 pick when it's all said and done. If you liked Marcus Davenport last year, to me, Montez Sweat maybe doesn't have the athletic ceiling, but a very similar player, you know, 6'6", about 250. And he is uh, more polished coming out of the SEC where he's going to be able to step in and make more plays right away. Yeah, I mean, listen, all he does is make plays. It's absolutely ridiculous when you watch him, Jeffrey Simmons. This is one of those defenses where on Saturdays you tune in because you know a lot of those names are going to relate to the NFL draft. And, and Sweat, like you said, Matt, not necessarily the flashiest. It, when you turn on Cleveland Farrell, Nick Bosa, Ja'Kai Polite, it's, they jump out a little more, but Sweat is a guy, not only in the box score, but on the field, looks tough, 
the motor runs hot. I mean, he just looks like a top 50 pick very easily. All right, we can't be all, you know, happy and joyful here. There's a stock down, a specific quarterback that I got to see play this weekend. I used to be pretty high on him, but DeAndre Francois, it's been a bad situation for him at Florida State. The offensive line has really struggled, but in his own right, since the injury, he's just holding on to the ball way too long, taking sacks and late on throws. I don't, it's just, this was someone that a lot of people felt had a chance to be a top 50 kind of prospect if everything went right at the quarterback position. And since he's been back, nothing has gone right. So Francois, when you, and this is not a good quarterback class, Matt, like we're searching for guys to stick out with Justin Herbert. At times we talked about Stidham and Locke, and they've both struggled. Haskins has been on the rise, and it'll be interesting to see if he declares. Francois, someone with a very good season, could have found his way into the, you know, into the conversation, and it just has not happened. Yeah, I'm with you, and I want to go right into how weak the 2019 quarterback class. That's stock down for me is the whole damn class. Yeah, Justin Herbert's probably going to be a top five pick because of the need at the position, and everybody's going to go on a quarterback because, like I said, that's how you build a team. You get a cheap quarterback for five years, and and that's your window. But the rest of this class, man, Justin Herbert uh, is up there. Jared Stidham has struggled. Drew Locke has struggled. Ryan Finley struggled. Uh, Nick Fitzgerald struggled. Ooh, like God, I, I don't bad. know who to pick as like QB2. It, it really goes to a lot of the underclassmen where you, okay, well, maybe we roll the dice on a, a Dwayne Haskins. Yeah. To me, Will Greer is not around one guy. And, and I think this past week it showed that where he threw three interceptions in the red zone. Where's the talent in the 2019 quarterback class? And maybe there were people saying this last year in October. I know we sure as hell weren't when we thought there were maybe six quarterbacks who were going to go to the the top 50. Right now, I see one guy in Justin Herbert that I feel very good would be a first round pick. And that's that's Dwayne Haskins is kind of out there on his own right now with almost an incomplete grade because we just don't know what to expect from him. You know, uh, let's give Ohio State credit. A lot of shit went down there. They are not talking. I haven't heard one player from Ohio State be like, hey, what would my draft grade be if I came out early? It's just not happening. So credit to them. But man, when I look at this quarterback class right now, there are a lot of unanswered questions outside of Justin Herbert. Yeah, there really are. And here's the crazy thing, Matt. We don't even know if Herbert's going to declare. I mean, the more and more people talking out of Oregon, and I know they have a bias because, of course, they want him to stay. With his brother coming in there as a four-star tight end next year, there's a lot of people that feel he's going to stay one more year. And if that happens, forget it. I mean, start looking at Jake Fromm and Tua for 2020. It's as simple as that. So, all right, last stock up for me, Caden Smith out of Stanford. I mean, huge week. You're looking for receiving tight ends. And a lot of teams, they're looking for those mis- mismatch weapons year after year. We've actually had, I believe, about eight tight ends go in the top 50 over the last two years combined. Caden Smith is next in line. When I look at him play, I think he's an impressive athlete, a good pass catcher, you know, a Utah defense that has talent. He still had eight catches for 120 yards. I like what I see out of him. I think he is a guy that will leave school early just because I think he'll hear very good things back from the draft advisory board. Yeah, I could definitely see that one happening. And and I'm going to go with the tight end as well. Noah Fant. And a lot of people are going to say, no, a fan, Iowa. Okay. And they're going to Google him and be like, man, this guy has like 11 catches. What are you talking about? 
but he has five touchdowns. And I think if you watch him play, you're going to see a very good athlete who maybe isn't your prototypical tight end, but you could put him in line. You could put him in the slot. You could move him around and let him be a playmaker. He has dominated the red zone. I want to say he had 11 touchdowns last year and only 30 catches. I mean, he is just a freak playmaker. Ignore the numbers. Watch him play. Watch him dominate at the catch point. Look at his route running ability. You're going to fall in love with Noah Fant, who my last big board update, he was in the top 15. He's got a chance to probably get in the top 12 and stay there all year. He's that good of a prospect. All right, y'all, it's the end of the show. You know what that means. It's draft on draft time. You can send in your questions on Twitter, hashtag at draft on draft, Reddit, Instagram, however you want to get them to us, do it up. Mason Whitlock wants to know, are the are we buying the Chiefs as contenders, Connor? Hell yeah, we are. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Pat Mahomes is the top three quarterback in the NFL right now. And, I mean, they could score at will. Okay, let me flip the coin here. The Chiefs' defense worries me in any single game. But what I will say is the NFL is structured around scoring points. The rules, the game itself, everything is around scoring points. And the Chiefs might be the best at that in the entire league. And their quarterback might be the best at it too. So yeah, I'm buying the Chiefs as a Super Bowl contender. Same. And I know there's this stat going around about this. This is like the fourth time they've started 5-0. and And in those years, they've never won a playoff game. And I, I actually tweeted this and I believe it. They never had Patrick Mahomes before. So it's very different. Mahomes, Tyree kill, uh, cream hunt, the whole deal. This team, I think is too explosive. Yeah. I have worries about the defense. Hopefully they'll eventually get Eric Berry back and that will help. But yes, they look like contenders, especially in kind of like a weird year where no one outside of the Rams and chiefs looks dominant. Greg Armstrong wants to know, uh, if you had to bet right now and who's going to be the better pro in five years, between Ja'Kai Polite and Brian Burns, Polite from Florida, Burns from Florida State, who are you going to put your money on? Oh, man. I know you and I agree on this one. Oh, without a doubt. It's Ja'Kai Polite. And I've seen Burns already in person. Uh, I, I'm i not going to get to see Burns this year in any game. I'm not going to any Florida games. The film's enough for me right now with what Polite has done. What I will say is I don't think Burns is a bad player. I think he's very good at getting an outside rush and forcing the quarterback to step up in the pocket. And when that quarterback isn't smart enough to do that, he can come around for the strip sack. I don't think that will work at the same rate in the NFL, but I think he'll have a very, very solid role. Polite. I see Melvin Ingram level pass rush ability. They are built the same. They're explosive. He has a, you saw it against LSU, the spin move, good hands. He can rip, he can swim. The guy can do it all, and he can bend. So he's an interesting player to me because he was heavier. He was playing three-tech at 265. He hated that. He sl- cut out all the junk food, slimmed down to 240, 245 to play on the edge. Looks like a completely different player. I- I'm a big fan. I am with you. Brian Burns, I just have big questions about, and I know people, like, you could point to a couple games where that dude is dominant, and you think, ah, oh, shit, like, if I can get that, yeah. But... Ja'Kai Polite, I, I think is one of the best kept secrets about this college football season uh, of just how great he looks. Like you said, cleaned up his diet, looks healthier, looks stronger, much more explosive. We got to start talking about him as a first round player. I know you have been, Connor, but like this is a legit first round player that needs a lot more love and a lot more attention. So well, this will probably be a spot where he starts getting that. Yeah, man. All right. All right the next one from you our buddy, Antha Oreo. Just keeping those questions coming. He is really one of our best listeners. You guys have been killing it. 
I am flying from California to Indy in December to see a Colts game with Dan Barnes. Oh, God, God. Godspeed, my friend. <laughs> I've never been to an NFL game or tailgated for one. So what are some key tips I should know for the tailgate and or the game? How early should I arrive? How obnoxious should I be? Or, man, I've never been to a Colts game, but I would imagine Indy is an awesome place to watch yeah. football. I, I like the city itself. Matt, I would consider you, you have taught me all I know about tailgating since we started the tour. So I'm going to let you take the spotlight for this one. Well, I think the, the big question there is, uh, number one, how early do you get there? I'm a, an advocate for get there as early as they will let you. Like uh, if it's a noon game, usually they'll open the gates at 6 a.m. I would be there at 6 a.m. Now, it, it depends what kind of setup you have. We always have like a couple trucks or a couple SUVs where you can really pack in all your stuff. So Get there as early as you can. Uh, how rowdy can you be? I think as rowdy as you want to be. I mean, don't pick fights or anything, but like this is your team, man. Yeah. You're allowed to be obnoxious, you know. Yeah, you're you're allowed to to, you know, yell obscenities, maybe not obscenities. Yeah, the one thing around. That's the one you're thing I'm really yell. bad at is I, I always feel really bad because I have a bad mouth. I always Same. I always feel really bad when I curse around kids. Cause I just remember watch the kids. Yeah, just the only thing, just be respectful of the kids. Yeah. Um, man, have a good time. Like if you want to stand up and cheer, stand up and cheer. Don't let the fans yes, that want to sit. For sure. Get, then they shouldn't be at the game. So have a good time. You know, be careful around Dan Barnes. But other yeah. than that, I think you'll be in good hands. And you're coming from California to Indy in December. I just, I, I'm sure you know this, but it's cold. Get a coat. You need to buy clothes <laughs> you don't own. Yeah. Yeah. So might want to get a coat. Might want to get some bibs because it is going to be cold. <laughs> oh, man. All right. The next one from Shane Huey. Giants need a quarterback. And will most likely be drafting in the top ten picks of the draft. Which quarterback would you take at their projected spot? Herbert, Locke, Haskins, or the field? Man, we answered this one on the mock draft. It's Justin Herbert and Giants yep. fans. Start praying he declares. I'll say I'll leave it at that. Exactly. That's it. Because if it's not him, I guess you can hope that Dwayne Haskins keep playing at this rate and declares. But man, there is nobody and. I think that's going to be a popular prediction in not only our mock drafts, but in all of them is, okay, the Giants desperately need a quarterback. They're going to be in the top five. All right, let's give them Justin Herbert. It's almost just like one of those automatics at this point. Yeah, man. I mean, I, well, it's interesting, too, because Haskins has been really good this year and keeps getting better. So the question, this question is really down to, can he find a way to either surpass Herbert or Herbert doesn't declare and he's the top guy. I think when you look at this quarterback race, that's the issue to keep an eye on. Yeah, it, it absolutely is. And you know how it goes. We get through the season and then we get to the postseason, the you know, senior bowl combine part of it. And it's you really start to hear more about that's when quarterbacks rise and fall because teams are getting into the background, the character, the work ethic, the football IQ. And I think that's an area that's really going to determine a lot with this class, not only Maybe not at the top because of Herbert, but how do you stack the guys behind him? So it, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating, I think, to to see how that order slots out. I, I can't wait to dig in more. You know, this I was telling somebody yesterday. I was teaching one of my charity scouting classes, and it's like this time of year you're just trying to play catch up so much because there's so much going on, and we're doing three pods a week and articles and actual life, and then you know December <laughs> like December all the film starts coming in too. And so it's like, oh, my God, like oh, the whole month of December, I feel like all I do is watch college films to try to get caught up on these guys. So I'm I'm really excited to get to that time of year. I guess we're only about you know, seven weeks away from that. Yeah, it feels good to be close. All right. Uh, next up, JQ underscore TV. 
Draft on draft question. Can Tua take QB1 from Fromm next year? I don't think he can. I don't... I don't know. I think he can. But what I will preface, and something you have said on the show, is that NFL teams love Fromm. I mean, they love Fromm. They already are aware of him. There are teams that feel he's a lock to go in the top three picks in 2020. There are teams that are sitting there saying, okay, we'll make this thing work the next two years, and we'll target Fromm in the draft. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that is a huge, huge part of it is teams. Teams talk about Jake Fromm the way they talked about Jared Goff and the way they talked about Andrew Luck. Like that's that's the only two players that I've ever seen at quarterback where teams are this excited about them a year away. And it, it, a lot of the work, you know, uh, I think it was Albert Breer did a great job of, of breaking down the Jets search for a quarterback and that it was really a three year process of evaluating these guys trying to figure out who they are, how they learn, what types of leaders they are. And I, I think for teams, whether it's the Giants or if you're a team with a future need, like you know, maybe the Chargers, you know, maybe maybe the Patriots, you're already doing a lot of work on guys like Jake Fromm and on Tua, who's a very good player. Very good. I think one of the things that's hurting Tua right now is we actually haven't had enough film to really see him because he's not playing in the first well, quarter. One half. And he only, <laughs> he only started you know, one game last year. So, or only played one half last year. So it's just, a, it's just hard to really get in really right now and see who he is. All right. I want to give Tyler Varner a shout out because on the Monday show, when I was doing the Heisman rankings, Travis Etienne, the Clemson running back jumped up to three. Tyler was the guy that I've been talking about this with on Twitter. And I forgot his name on that show. So I wanted to give Tyler a quick shout out. There we go. I Man, I love our listeners. They're the best. Um, They're the absolute best. You know, it's it's crazy. We're going to get to meet some of them this weekend at LSU. Our guy, Roma Tomasoff, is actually flying down from you know, somewhere in the Northeast. I can't remember where he's at. Boston, maybe. But it's it's amazing, like, the, the community that has been built. So definitely, you know, awesome job by Tyler to, to help you shout out your boy, uh, ETN. So loving that. All right, Joshua Engler, last two questions we got on the show this week. Number one, which small school prospects will have the most to gain from a trip to the Senior Bowl or another form of a national spotlight. So I, I want to talk about a guy that we, we actually highlighted a lot over the summer, Easton Stick at North Dakota State. When you watch his film at quarterback, he's a very good player. I, I think a big key is we need to see him against bigger competition. You know, seeing him against, you know, the, the guys at the Senior Bowl, the Alabamas and the Floridas and the LSUs, because right now he is very, very good at, you know, that that level, and we, we've seen guys like Carson Wentz come out of it and do very well, but I think Easton Stick is the guy to, to keep in the back of your mind is maybe a rising quarterback who could do a lot of lot of work on his draft stock at somewhere like the Senior Bowl. Yeah, in a class we just completely took a shit on today, so it, yeah, it's not did. surprising at all. Uh, mine is someone that you actually highlighted, I believe, stock up and $100 handshakes this year, O'Shane Zimenez from uh, Old Dominion. He's a player that you know, obviously returned to school last year is in his final year, go to the senior bowl and win those one-on-ones against offensive linemen. And I think he will. I think that's, what's important to note here is that when you t- people are going to see his film at old dominion, be like, okay, this guy can play. If you can carry that momentum into the senior bowl, as we saw a guy like Nathan Shepard only in one practice, but really yeah. shined in those one-on-ones in practice. I think Zimenez is the guy to keep an eye on. 
Oh, man. I absolutely agree. You know I love this guy. You really I, do. I, I think he's a first-round prospect. So, yeah, it could be. It could just be his coming out party, like it was last year for Marcus Davenport. So, last question, also from Josh. We had discussed that the hardest part of scouting is finding out character, heart, leadership traits. Given that it's 2018, how much of this information can be obtained by social media stalking prospects? So, oh, that's interesting. It, one thing that that I know happened in this last draft, teams, you know, we were all trying to figure out Baker Mayfield, Josh Rosen. What are they like? What do their teammates think of them? Because, you know, Baker had been arrested, tried to run from the cop, the whole deal. He he left Texas Tech and the coaches there didn't have a lot of great things to say about him. But he goes to Oklahoma and it's like, damn, this dude's like model citizen. He's a great leader. And with Rosen, you know, it was the Trump hat, the hot tub, talking about the school getting paid when the players aren't. And, you, and you're just trying to figure out what are these guys really like? And I, I remember talking to a, a, a team that needed a quarterback and, and being told, you can't do that. You can't like, yes, you're going to pay attention to Twitter, but you're going to pay attention to Instagram. But it, it's so easy to fake that. It's so hard to fake day in, day out with the strength coach. Like anyone who li- listens to this podcast that wants to be a scout someday, trust me on this. When you make your first school visit, man, you need to go in and talk to the strength coach because that guy actually works with the players more than the head coach, a lot of times more than the position coach. So when you that's what you need to do is make those connections to the school where, yeah, social media, there's going to be people who are dumb and are going to say things and, and you can take some information from that. But for the most part, I think social media is too easy to fake. I agree. You can put on a front. So the best way to figure out the character of a player is to go talk to the people that he deals with on a day-to-day basis. I'll tell you, one of the most revealing times in terms of players' character was when I was with you and we went to a facility where a ton of high-level prospects were training and talking to the different trainers there, you, you're right. You really do learn a lot about the players, whether it is work ethic, what type of player they are, how they interact with other guys because interaction in a locker room at the next level is gigantic. So yes, social media sometimes can tell you things, but often not. I think it actually portrays people more often than not in the wrong way. So it's interesting to me. That is such a big part of scouting. I I could tell you it's crazy. The things you can learn in places you would never expect, like sitting in the press box at Miami this weekend I was put in a section with all the Florida State team media. And that that's a big group, let me tell you. Whether it's video, whether it's producers, on-camera talent, it's a gigantic section. The things you hear about them, about their own players, is mind-blowing. So you never really... And you also have to be very selective of who you trust and where you get that character, whether it is executives you talk to, whether it is people close to the team... It's almost like being a private investigator and pulling together sources. That's exactly it, man. I mean, we have a friend who got out of scouting uh, fairly recently, and, and that was one of the things that I, we went to I mean, we probably four or five dinners with him, and that was the thing he always talked about was, you know, he, he has to learn more about evaluating people and personalities than he does learning about football right now because, you know, that that's the stuff that's harder to figure out. So it, it is about being a private eye, but... We could spend 10 hours talking about how to scout and what to look for. We'll do a special, I think, on that at some point. I think we should, yeah. Yeah, maybe, you know what? Maybe next summer or after the draft when it gets quiet, we should do a series 
with me, you, and Mello, where we do like chapters of scouting, almost like a book, an ebook. Yeah. Or people could donate to my charity, and I'll, you know, I do those five-hour scouting classes. So. That'd be awesome. The kids need <laughs> or coats. Do that. The, God, they do absolutely do. It, it actually woke up this morning and looked at the weather. Tomorrow, it's like 50 here, and my first thought was, man, like I, I need to to get it out there because people, like know that i do it but it, it's going to get colder earlier in missouri so if you don't know what we're talking about codes for kids charity you can donate on venmo at nfl draft scout or uh the the auctions that i'll be doing of some signed stuff i've, I've heard we're getting some browns signed stuff and some chief signed stuff real soon so there'll, there'll be some cool things people can bid on to help out so all right, man. That's our show. It's a good show today. A lot, lot of fun. A lot to talk about. This is my favorite time of the year when it's October. We have so much to talk about with the NFL, college football, and how it really connects with the draft. And the draft on draft questions have just been awesome, guys. Can't wait to meet some of you guys at the LSU tailgate this weekend. We are going to be rocking and rolling at 8 a.m. until kickoff. Maybe a little bit after kickoff. We will see how long they let us stay. But it's going to be a lot of fun. So if you can make it to that, please do. We'll be right back. 